0: To be uh, if you can. If you can. Yeah, you <laughs> That's better. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> we are in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 again this morning. We'll be spending time in verses 11 through 13. We finished up in chapter 12, verse 10 last week. I wanted to get 11 if possible, but I felt like it probably would not be profitable to continue on at that point. So we're going to pick up an 11 through 13 this week. But before we start, let's have a word of prayer again. Lord, help us. <clears throat> help us to understand this very important passage. pray you help us to, as we at least at some level, probe into the passage depths that we will be able to understand by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the teaching of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you will help us to hear this truth that flies pretty dramatically in opposition to the natural way of life. And so Lord, I pray you'll help us to not just hear and understand that but we will find value here of eternity. So open our eyes. In your name I pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 11 through 13 says this, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness, to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. It's an interesting passage, valuable passage, a passage that I find full of amazing mercy and grace, and I hope you do as well. It's a, a passage we don't necessarily think about as mercy and grace, but it is. We've been taking our time working through chapter 11 and 12, and as we come to verse uh, 11 of chapter 12, we've kind of reached that point that, that at least chapter 12 is driving towards. If you remember in chapter 12, it started out talking about keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. The author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising his shame. And it's said at the right hand of the Father, so that we do not lose heart, which kind of comes up in this passage as well. But then he reminds us in verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation, verse 5, that addresses you as sins? Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And the point of the discipline of the Lord is this very issue, that you and I have done what? We have not lived according to the way the book of Hebrews describes people ought to live, holding Christ as supreme. Instead, we are people who find ourselves regularly having dull ears, Hard hearts and cold hearts. We've talked about this many, many times. It is because of that that he introduces discipline to us here. We've lost track of the supremacy of Jesus. And so, as a result, <clears throat> he introduces the idea of discipline that we saw the last couple of weeks. We saw it first in verse 5 My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or be weary. When reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. By the way, if you read verse six carefully, you recognize right away that the discipline of the Lord is mercy. If you read it carefully, you recognize that that the discipline of the Lord is a demonstration of his love and his grace towards us. Verse 7 following continues to discuss the issues of discipline which we talked about last week but that brings us down to verse 11 and it starts out verse 11 is interesting it starts out saying for the moment all discipline see, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant we talked about discipline being both instructional as well, well as chastising it's both but typically on, in both categories it's not pleasurable when i am taught by god He is specifically teaching me, training me, making me into a disciple, which is the word discipline comes from. We've already talked about that. He's teaching me regarding things that are inherently opposed to the the natural way of my life, the natural way of my heart. Does that make sense? My natural bent, even as a saved person, because my heart is still deceitfully wicked, my natural bent is still to pursue what? Sin, right? I mean, it's, it's powerful. Is it not powerful in you? It's powerful in me. I feel it all the time. I tell people regularly when people say, well, God told me this, God told me that, or I have peace about this, I have peace about that. I, I regularly tell people, you know what? I have peace about my sin more than anything else in my life when it comes to decision making. I have absolute peace about the sin I'm about ready to embark in. I haven't embarked in it yet, but I'm about to and I have complete peace about that. It's the deception, isn't it? Isn't that the deception? It absolutely is. And when God disciplines me, whether it's through chastisement or whether it is through instruction, in both cases, it's painful. Why is it painful from an instructional standpoint? Well, here's why. I do what I do because I love it and because I've deceived myself into thinking that it'll actually benefit me. It'll actually be valuable to me. That's the deception, isn't it? It's actually going to satisfy. It's actually going to please. It's actually going to benefit. It's actually going to help. It's actually going to satisfy. And so I embrace it. And at the end, what happens? It doesn't, correct? It never does. And when God mercifully and graciously begins to instruct me, I find it gross. I find it uncomfortable. I hate it. Because one of the first things he starts teaching me is what? I was wrong. And the way I was thinking was wrong. My activity was wrong. Well, I did because I loved it. So when he comes along and tells me, no, it was wrong, I don't like that. And we all know that, don't we? If I love something and somebody comes and tells me it's gross, I don't like that. Or it's bad, I don't like that. We all do that, even if it's not a moral issue. We all do it. So whether it's chastisement or even instruction, we understand that we've got to start from the point that God is holy, I'm not. Correct? He's holy, I'm not. We're not talking about you now, we're only talking about me, I'm not. I'm sure you all are beautifully holy. And because God is 100% holy, and I'm not, the end result is when holiness speaks into unholiness, that's going to be really uncomfortable. That's called light speaking into Darkness. darkness. That's uncomfortable. It's not pleasurable, it's not pleasant, it's painful. Just is. Chastisement, even more so, right? Because in chastisement he's also teaching, but he's adding another component to it. And so chastisement and teaching, because God never chastises his children without teaching. So it's always, if chastisement takes place, it's chastisement and teaching. Now it's doubly painful. Whatever that chastisement is. It may be at the very beginning of the of the process into sin. It may be at the end, or it may be Later on, even beyond that. Maybe I've repented and I'm still paying the consequences, chastisement. Because that does happen, by the way. Even after repentance, oftentimes, discipline still is there. The consequences, the discipline involved, and the teaching. So it's still painful. It's not pleasant. It's painful. Let's not miss the point. Change towards Christ does not help, does not happen without. Pain. Just doesn't. It does seem painful. All discipline. He's he's all encompassing on this. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. And we are people who love pain or pleasure better? Pleasure. Pleasure, right? Which is why we fight against the pain all the time. We're always focused on I gotta avoid The pain. How can I avoid the pain all the time? And the point of this is, when it comes to God's discipline, God's chastisement, it isn't about avoiding the pain. You know what he's going to argue here? It's about fully embracing it. It's about fully embracing it, which is a radical thought. And please understand, I don't know What God is going to use in your life or mine in the future with regard to discipline. He could use physical things like sicknesses. He could use um, things like my boss mistreating me. Do you realize that? He could even use people's unethical stuff to discipline you. Do you realize that? Andrew, that happens quite often at Target, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Andrew and I talk about it. See, we typically, I'm just using that as an illustration real quick, because we often as will look at someone mistreating us, like our boss mistreating us, and we see only, let me just ask you real quick, do we see only bad? Or is, do, we, do we see only good? Or do we see the bad and there's God's at work here? You see, that's the challenge. Because what we do is we miss the point of the discipline because we miss the point that God's at work. Do you remember Joseph? We all remember Joseph. At the end of his life, he said what? To his brother, he said, you meant these things for? Evil evil for me, but God meant them for good. Joseph's point is God is always first cause. We look at the problems and we say it's just bad, and we miss the whole point. This is discipline. And by the way, discipline doesn't just mean that God is whacking you because you sinned. I use whacking very flippantly, but you get my point. God is not just after dealing with us because of our sin. He's after bringing us to be like Christ. Sometimes he's dealing with specific sins in our life. Other times, he's just about bringing us to be more like Christ. He's just transforming us. Christwardly, And he uses all sorts of things. He did use Pharaoh, didn't he? Correct? He used Pilate, I'm I'm sorry, Potiphar, didn't he? He used Potiphar's wife, too, didn't he? That was pretty unethical, wasn't it? Remember the story? Potiphar's wife tried to have sex with with Joseph. Joseph fled. It's kind of unethical. Just a little bit. Kind of immoral. But God used it in Joseph's life transforming him into who he wanted him to be. I'm sure for Joseph, it wasn't very pleasurable. He did end in prison over it. It wasn't a good thing. Going to the New Testament, we got Paul being thrown into prison, beaten with rods, uh, stoned several times, shipwrecked. All sorts of things, bitten by snakes. Crazy stuff, Right? Absolutely crazy stuff. It wasn't because Paul was sinning all over the place. Not that he wasn't a sinner, he was. But God was transforming him. He was disciplining him. What's interesting about the text, he says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. The operative word here is, what do you think? For the... Moment. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. In the moment, at the time, it's really painful. You know what God's reminding his children of here? Remember the grand sweep. But more importantly than that, it's remember the one who's in charge of the grand sweep. In the moment, it's tough. And it's really hard, isn't it? Just to use an example, somebody treats you really unethically. Somebody abuses you. You didn't deserve a single bit of that. And you sense right in the beginning what starts happening inside you. Anger, what else? Possibly. Revenge. Revenge, good. What else? How about sometimes hopelessness? How about doom? Darkness. All the rest of that kind of stuff. Isn't that what typically happens? Right? That's, that's, that's life. That's the way it works. <clears throat> what he's saying is listen, this is a momentary thing, kind of reflecting back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, end of chapter 4, where he says uh, that it's, it's light momentary affliction, right? What does Paul say? It's light momentary affliction in, con- in contrast to what? The eternal weight of glory. What Paul is saying in effect there and what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is it's tough in the moment. It's hard in the moment. In the grand sweep of Hebrews, remember Jesus. See, when, you, when, when you're in chapter 12, verse 11, time of life, it, it, discipline for the moment is not pleasurable. It's painful. How should we think? Well, the context tells us how we should think. What, is, what, is, what do we find in the beginning of chapter 12? Did not, uh, shed blood over. Before that even. Before that, what do we find? Fixing our eyes. our eyes on Jesus, right? And then it talks about what Jesus went through, right? Which could be described as discipline in a way, right? It was hard. It was brought on by God. Not disciplined because he sinned, but he did take on sin. So he needed to receive wrath. It wasn't just discipline, it was wrath. And he took on, right? But what does it say? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So you don't lose hope. So you don't lose heart. We get a picture of this idea from verse 11 back to verse 2 and 3 especially. When he says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. If you find yourself in one of those disciplined times, the difficult times, remember Christ, Christ, who what? Suffered for you. See, Christ suffered wrath for you and I so that all we have to suffer is what? Light afflictions. Light afflictions. Do you get that? That's the point of the text. He suffered wrath so that you could suffer discipline. He suffered the full vent of God's wrath that belonged to you and me so that you and I could be children who he loves. And he demonstrates that love by disciplining us. Oh, it's painful for the moment. It's hard. It's not wrath, right? And it certainly isn't wrath of God. That's why he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Because one of the things is discipline's coming. Why? Because we struggle with unhearing ears, dull. We struggle with hard and cold hearts. And God, in his mercy and grace, because Christ took on wrath. He loves us and so he disciplines us. He took care of that already. He disciplines us. See, we don't see it. We just see boss mistreating us. We see, we just see cop pulled us over and we didn't break the law. We just see, um, you know, things going bad in our life that we just don't deserve. Can't tell you how many times I've heard Christians say that. I don't deserve this. Like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) You deserve hell. That's what you really deserve. Welcome to mercy. Right? Welcome to mercy. He took on the wrath so that we receive loving discipline that, yes, in the moment is not pleasant. It's hard. It's painful in the moment. Look to Jesus. Going through discipline, look to Jesus. By the way, can I just say this real quick? Some people ask me, well, how do you know if it's discipline or not? Here's the answer. It is. It is. Because God's at work 24 seven doing what in our lives? Transforming us to the image of God. That's what he's doing all the time. You know what that means? If we're his children, he's always what? Disciplining us. us. He's not like some sort of detached parent who just doesn't do anything until suddenly the kid torches his bedroom. And so then he comes charging in and disciplines his kid. It's not how it works. Unlike even the best parent in the world, our God is promised, has promised to what? Never leave us nor forsake us. That means that the one who's disciplining you is always there. He's always with you. That should not be a doom thing. That should not be a dark cloud thing. Not for any stretch of imagination. That's amazing. Love, how can it be right? That's what it is. My God, just refuses to let me go. He refuses to let me. Refuses to let me wander in the wilderness. To take something out of the context of Hebrews. He just refuses. No. No, I'm, as a loving father, I'm going to discipline you and, by chastising and by teaching so that you will be honed, sharpened, chiseled into Christ-likeness. Wow. Can I just ask you a quick question? Is there anything more we can hope for than that? Appreciate your confession this morning. Because that's exactly what we're talking about. Is there anything more we can hope for than that? To be shaped in the image of Christ. To have the privilege, the awesome privilege, to reflect Jesus. What an amazing thing. Oh, but the process is tough. (laughs) It's hard. For the moment, it's hard. What does he say in, in the very next line? But later. So you notice that for the moment? Later. It's like right now, this is a time of discipline. There's Going through something? Discipline. But later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now remember... The contrast of 11 goes back to um, verse 5 through 8, where he talks about on the first hand that he he disciplines those he loves. But if you're not disciplined, you're what? An illegitimate child and not a son. You don't belong to Him. So, for the moment, all discipline seems to be painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Who has been trained by it? I'm working it backwards a little bit. <clears throat> Who's been trained by it? Illegitimate or legitimate? legitimate? Legitimate. Illegitimate is not being trained by it, right? So it's not that, <clears throat> by the way, it's not that some believers will... Yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness, and some won't. Those who have been trained by it are those who are legitimate children because God's discipline is powerful because the God who disciplines is powerful. As a matter of fact, we describe it theologically as omnipotent, all powerful. The Lord disciplines who He loves, and His discipline, the argument, is, is effective. And over time, something's going to happen. To those who are disciplined by the Lord, something's going to happen. As they receive the training, end of verse 11, as they are trained, what begins to happen? They begin to have, they begin to yield the peaceable fruit of Righteousness. It begins to show. It begins to show. I was I was over um, yesterday evening. I drove right before they closed. I drove into over by French Creek State Park. That um, hope is it Hopewell? Hopewell hope no, it's a big. Yeah, Hopewell Village, thank you. I think I know that after living here for how many years. <clears throat> I drove in, I've never been there before. It's, it, it, closed, it closed at 6, and I was going by at 5.51, I wanted to drive in and just see what the thing was all about. So I drove in to get some brochures, and when you drive in, you drive through this grove of trees. <clears throat> you know what the first thing was I noticed? They're all fruit. All apple trees. Now, if you drove in early in the year you may not have known that now if you know trees you would recognize the leaf shape and the, and the tree shape <clears throat> and if you drove at the right time you would the seen the flowers and so you may have figured it out right but now if you know absolutely nothing about trees absolutely nothing if you drove into that hopewell village you're going to say Fruit tree. You may not even know it's an apple tree, if you know nothing about fruit. But you're say, look at that, fruit tree. You know why? A there's a lot of fruit there. Now it takes time. If I'm gonna use the illustration, Ken, this last spring, right? Ken has two apple trees on his property and and they're wild apple trees they're not I think I don't think they were supposed to be wild apple trees but they're wild apple trees now because they haven't been what they haven't been pruned for a long time how long has it been since they've been pruned never Never. okay you get the idea and Ken has a friend who's tree service guy and he came in and Ken asked who's down the road right Ken said would you come prune my apple trees the guy said sure how many apples you got so far this year (laughs) <laughs> two on there. Yeah, he's got two apples on the tree, on the one tree. Right. On the other tree, there's nothing. Nothing. Why? Because later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I bet by next year you'll have like four or five times that amount at least. I trimmed my peach tree this year, because last year it yielded some fruit, but not a whole lot. I didn't trim as extreme as you guys did as you did yours. And this year the thing is just the branches are just hanging down low with peaches. Yielding peaceful fruit of righteousness. Or in this case, peaceful fruit of peaches. But it needed to be pruned. Discipline. Cutting hurts. I watched the peach tree that I cut, I watched it bleed, as it were, this spring. I mean, all sorts of the, of the um, sap. sap was just pouring out, and that really sticky sap, and it was a mess. Now all that stuff's gotten hard. It's healing. The is healing fruit. That's what happens to the one who's been trained by it. You see, there's some people, and they are unsaved people, they go through difficulties as well, It's not discipline though. I call it pre-wrath, wrath. wrath. (coughs) Because it's just a a precursor to future wrath. There's no discipline going on for them. They're not being trained. But for those who receive true discipline, the pruning is the proof of his love. And as they prune, over time, it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It will. And it will be 30, 60, 100-fold because of the mercy of God pruning. That's what happens. That's what God does. In light of that, we come to verse 12 and 13. And I would argue 12 and 13 have, have two perspectives in each one of the lines they give. And I'll be general about all of them. Let me read it first. Therefore... Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the paths of your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here is both, if I'm going to use these terms, spiritual and physical, it's not spiritual physical, but I don't know what other words to use. When he says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the paths of your feet. He is firstly not talking about get out there and do what you need to do. That doesn't make sense. Firstly and primarily in the context. Or better put, therefore, get out and obey as if somehow you could avoid the discipline of the Lord. That's not what he's talking about. When he says here, primarily, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the paths for your feet, I would argue what he is talking about primarily in 12 and 13 is this. Lifting your drooping hands is worship. That's what it is. And strengthen your weak knees, especially remembering that this book is written with a very strong Hebrew lean to it. In the Old Testament, the people worshiped with their entire being. They, don't, they didn't worship how we do. It was whole being worship. If you don't believe it, those of you who have been to Israel, you see it to this day. It's whole being. They, they sit there at the, at the western wall or some people call it the wailing wall and when they pray, they're just, their whole bodies into it. It's just going constantly as they're as they're praying to God. And it's talked about in the Old Testament that way, about praying and worshiping your whole being, your whole body. When he says, therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. He's going all the way back to, not physically make sure you're doing this stuff physically, he's going all the way back to fixing your eyes on Jesus. You see, what happens when difficulties come too often, what we do is we get all caught up in our difficulty, don't we? Your back hurts? Oh, my back hurts. It's all about the back. And you say, no. No, that's not what it's about. When I look at my mom and the condition she's in and how I take care of her, it's so easy for me to get caught up in Alzheimer's and congestive heart failure and sick sinus syndrome and AFibs and Alzheimer's. I think I already said that. Maybe I have Alzheimer's. Um, sometimes, sometimes, yeah. It's so easy to get caught up in that, isn't it? Isn't it easy? When you, when you get stuck in a traffic jam, isn't it so easy to get caught up in a traffic jam? Get all jacked up. And... No. What does he say? When he goes through discipline, lift up your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight your paths. Straight to where? Straight to where? Is there an Old Testament passage that sounds familiar to this? Especially the last one? I'll read it again. The last one. Make straight, or, um, and make straight paths for your feet. That sound vaguely familiar? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? What does it say in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? I'll, I'll read it to you real quick. <clears throat> Trust. In the Lord with all your heart and do not lean unto your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. How does He make straight your paths? According to Hebrews 12. Discipline. Discipline. Kind of easy, right? Discipline. He trains us, He teaches us. And what. What Proverbs is saying is we have a part in it, or I'm sorry, what Hebrews is saying is we have a part in it, right? But the part of it in context about us making straight our paths is to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4, specifically 2 and 3. Primarily, it's making straight your paths to Jesus. Lifting up your drooping hands, strengthening your knees to worship. Make straight your paths, rushing to the one who has absorbed wrath for you, who's gone to the tree for you and me. Rush back to remembering the supremacy of Jesus Christ. It's not the supremacy of the pain in the back or the bad boss or the difficulty I'm going through, whatever it may be. <clears throat> it's the supremacy of the first cause. Jesus Christ. It's only then that the secondary comes into play because we also argue that the text 12 and 13 is saying also right along with it in, in, in lifting your drooping hands and strengthening your weak knees and making straight paths for your feet is secondarily as I focus on Christ fix my eyes on Christ the author and perfecter of faith it is in that position, a position of worship, that now I find the discipline of the Lord begins to have its effect, so that I begin to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness, which evidences itself in me serving. You were ta- you and I were talking about this before church, Andrew. It evidences itself in me working for Christ, and obeying God, and serving the Lord, and advancing the kingdom, and proclaiming Christ, and caring for one another, and on and on and on. <coughs> See too often we, we get the idea, I'm going through difficulty, i got to do more. No, no, it's Christ. It's the focus on Christ. And then that flows out of it. So it is a secondary, yes. But I will find myself strengthening or lifting my drooping hands to serve Him. I will be strengthening my knees to serve Him. I will be make my path straight to serve Him. Why? Because I am with Him. I'm in agreement with Him. And I'm finding myself to be worshipping Him. Therefore, I'm going to serve Him. Which brings us to the the end of the verse... which, by the way, is amazingly gracious and merciful, and make straight paths for your feet, verse 13, so that what is lame, our goal here, it's interesting, you'd almost expect the goal is that we do stuff for Christ again, but no, it isn't. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be what? Healed. Healed. So that the discipline Will not do permanent damage. Instead, it will do what? Restore. It will restore. It will restore back to a functioning condition. Well, what's the functioning condition? What does it mean to be healed? This is really important as we wrap it all up. What does it mean when he says that it will be healed? <clears throat> it means that we who once had dull hearing. We who once had a hard heart, we who once had a cold heart, now have a heart that is aflame for Jesus. We now have a heart that is soft for the molding by Jesus into what he wants it to be. We now have ears that are absolutely tuned in. And we hear the words of Christ. We hear the word of God, and it's resonating in us. And we find as we approach future disciplines, the word is resonating. We're hearing God. He's molding us, and the fruit is just popping everywhere by the grace and mercy of God. It's not permanent damage. It's healing damage. It's damage that produces better, more fruit for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what his discipline does. If we go through difficulties, if I would just submit this to you, <clears throat> if we come out the other side of difficulties, knowing, not knowing Jesus and loving Jesus more than before, we're not healed. We're just not. Coming out of difficulties is meaningless. I don't care if we do better or not. Let's say you go through a difficulty, you start doing stuff better. Maybe it's, it's a self-inflicted, just use for sake of example, it's a self-inflicted failure. And you go through a difficulty because of something you did wrong. And so you correct it, and you start doing right. And you say, woohoo, I'm better. No, you're not. Because God never created Christianity for the purpose that you and I do better. He created Christianity so that you and I know Christ better. And we love Christ more. And as a result, we glorify Christ more. See, that's the exact same problem the Pharisees had. They read the Old Testament, and they gathered all this stuff about how to do, and they did it. And then we get the passage that says, In that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, and will say, Depart from me, I never knew you. And say, Wait, we did all these things in your name. And he says, I didn't know you. Depart from me. It's not about doing, it's about knowing and loving, and the doing is the fruit of righteousness that comes out. (laughs) That's what happens. Doesn't mean we don't work at those things, but their secondary thing, the primary thing, is fixing our eyes on Jesus. The context is really clear. I'm going through difficulty. Jesus! That should be the response of a believer. I'm being disciplined. Jesus! What do I know about Jesus in light of this? What, do I, what, what is true about the attributes, the character of Jesus Christ? What is true about what he's taught who, and what he's revealed on who he is and who is the Holy Spirit and who is the Father? What do I know, the truth of what he's revealed about himself? That's what he's talking about. What he's after, what his heartbeat is. His majesty, His glory. Who is He? Difficulty. Jesus. That's the point. And when we do, we're being trained. training's not fun. But you know, before you know it, what starts to happen? Peaceful fruit of righteousness. By the mercy and grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of righteousness begins to show itself. I'm doing. I'm obeying God's commands, <clears throat> but I'm being driven by a love of Christ, and more primarily, the love from Christ. Because I love because He first loved me. I'm realizing His love. I'm resonating and and living in and reveling in His love. And before you know it, I'm yielding the peace of the fruit of righteousness. Because that's that's spirit driven. it's stunning to see. So what do we do with today's passage? Let me just encourage you. Life is discipline, according to the Scriptures. It's not fun. Not easy. Not pleasant. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Even just the little part we talked about this morning, he took on the wrath so that all we would receive is discipline. That is stunning, at in, its in, in face, it's stunning. He who did not deserve wrath took on wrath for those who did deserve it. And all we ever receive is careful, surgical, loving, merciful, gracious that's going to bring us to a place we could never ever bring ourselves to before and prepare us for the resurrection so when we face difficulty that's the type of things we need to remember that's who we need to remember and then worship that one I'll tell you this I don't know about you but I've met several people in my life who understood this And it becomes really clear they understand it when you see them in the midst of discipline, because they are people who revel in Jesus. You've heard me say it before. I'll say it again. I'll just mention the name Nancy Mokrez, not a perfect woman, but boy, she understood the, 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 the discipline of the Lord, didn't she? She understood the discipline of the Lord. You, Andrew, you remember, you and I went over there several times and visited her. All she wanted to do is talk about Jesus. She didn't live in denial about all the difficulties she was going through, but she just wanted to know Jesus. She didn't burn all of her hours trying to read up on cancer. She didn't burn up all her hours to reading up on all the other problems that were going on in her life. You know what she did? She read the scriptures, she read table talk. That's the one from R.C. Sproul, isn't it? Yeah, she read table talk from R.C. Sproul. And she had a couple other really good things she was reading. Had a couple really good solid biblical books she was reading. She'd listen to some really solid seminars and sermons. She she had good solid theological music playing in the house. She just wanted to know Jesus. Because she understood that God was after something in her life. It was amazing. Convicting, wasn't it? and encouraging at the same time. I don't mean to lift up Nancy Mokrez and say, "Wow, why isn't she a hero of the faith? That's not what I'm saying. There's only one hero, and that's Jesus Christ. And she recognized that. And she just wanted to have more of Jesus. And that's what we see in the scriptures, and that's what we see here. Looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, help us. We are so easily sidetracked. We are so easily distracted. We get so easily caught up in the discipline, not the discipliner. Lord, I pray you'll help us to recognize you. And in the discipline, in the hard times, to remember you, cry out to you, draw near to you, worship you, pursue you and know you. Warm our hearts and soften them. Sharpen our hearing by your mercy so that we will know you intimately. And over time, the fruit of righteousness will, as you've promised, will begin to yield. Glorify yourself in our in our lives. In they name I pray.